guys, you're listening to Metal Matters, a weekly gimme radio podcast. I'm your host, Mike Hill. If you like metal, punk, hardcore, or anything extreme, you've come to the right place. So subscribe and never miss out. This episode started out conceptually as a classic records episode where Randy Larson and I were going to be talking about the Lurker of Chalice LP. But quickly, it turned into just a general appreciation for the work output of Jeff Whitehead, also known as Rest. There are many one-man black metal projects out there, but Leviathan, Lurker of Chalice, in our opinion, is the deepest, darkest, and most interesting. Whitehead is a man of few words, so there's not a whole lot of interviews out there with him. Noisy did a mini-documentary on one-man black metal projects, and he's featured prominently. So we use that as some source material. If you like this episode, I recommend checking out this mini-doc. If you like the show, please give us a star rating on iTunes, share it with your friends, repost it on your social media. We're looking to grow this thing, so um, don't keep it a secret if you enjoy the show. If you want to hit me up, you can reach me on Facebook as Michael Hill, on Instagram as Michael underscore DC underscore Hill. Those are pretty much the only two social media things I mess around with these days. Um, There's Twitter, which I have an account, but I don't really tweet a whole lot. I never quite like that term, tweeting. You know, back in the 90s, when I was uh, just starting to get into like the second wave of black metal, um, it was a few years later that the uh, I discovered that there was a pretty vibrant scene in the United States. Um, you know, I'm not going to lie and say that I knew about Vaughn back then, but um, I did find out about, um, you know, Dan Loker's band, Hemlock. But what was most interesting to me was uh, there was a group of bands Absu, Krieg, Nachmistium, and Leviathan. And now out of all those bands, Leviathan was the one that really got its hooks into me. Yeah, man, same here. You know, I think, um, you know, musically, there was just a lot of, a lot of different things going on with that. And then I found out that um, the, the man behind it, Rest, a.k.a. Jeff Whitehead, Tattooist extraordinaire. Also had another project that existed um, between the years of 2001 and 2005 called Lurker of Chalice. And that it was, you know, once again, a project that he single-handedly put together and, you know, wrote, recorded, for for the most part, recorded everything too. And um, I think that, out of all those bands is the stuff. That, oh, let's, let, let's also not forget Zaster, another one-man project that's right. part of that original group of bands that sort of made their mark. But um, I feel like the uh, Lurker of Chalice slash Leviathan output to me is like, def- kind of defines like U.S. black metal in my opinion. I think it's the cream of the crop for U.S. black metal. Definitely. Definitely my favorite. Um the Lurker of Chalice record in particular, 
as much as I love all the Leviathan stuff, the Lurker Chalice record's probably one of my favorite black metal records of all time. Yeah, it's definitely um like it's not just just black metal. There's you can hear different strains of other types of music in there. And I think that originally the way it was presented to me, it was um like black metal crossed with the sort of gothic influence. And uh for me, I found out about Leviathan through my good friend Dave Witty, the uh famous drummer of Municipal Waste, Brain Tentacles, King Generator, the band that he and I do together. <laughs> Burnt by the Sun, River Black, Discordance Axis, Black Army Jacket, like you name it. The list goes on and on of that guy's uh, you know musical repertoire. Uh, but Dave actually was the one who turned me on to Leviathan, and he's like, "Oh, you like black metal? You should you should definitely check this out." Uh, so he, I remember driving around in his car one day. He was playing this CD for me. And originally, I was like, "Yeah, this is this is uh, pretty insane stuff." Then a couple years later, I moved in with a good friend of mine, uh, Hunter, and he was the kind of guy who uh, just a music like fiend. Like he had MP3 downloads of all the stuff from you know dudes that back in the early two thousands, you know, trading files with people, file sharing, like that whole thing was kind of his bag. And he laid laid the uh, Lurker of Chalice record on me one night. And um, I'm like, oh, this sounds just like this band Leviathan, except it's like a little bit different. And it turned out that it was obviously the same guy, you know, making, a, a, expressing himself under a different name. But it wasn't until I actually delved into uh, the demos of Lurker of Chalice that I was able to see what they meant about the gothic sort of influence in the band. And um, and it wasn't until like I actually started doing a little bit of research for this episode that I even was aware of the demos. But you apparently you, you've, knew, you've known about these things for a while. Yeah, I was also uh, consumed in the world of file sharing and uh, stuff back in the day. SoulSeek and programs like that. And uh, there was this one guy who he had... Like probably it was, maybe it was your friend, or maybe it could have been. <laughs> this guy had everything, um, so I stumbled across the Lurker Chalice demos, um, which are very different than the album. Although there are, I think, a lot of the skeletons on those demos, which became the album. They're much more. Uh, they have that goth feel to them. It's less less black metal. Yeah, feel. To the yeah. demos yeah because there's, there's like some sequence drums there's like a lot of right. noise and you know but then there's this like almost death in june-esque like vocal patterns that are going on behind everything right um unfortunately those demos have yet to see the light of day in a proper release even it, even a proper digital release they're kind of just out there on youtube yeah that's the only place i i did a pretty extensive search to try to find them you know out there you know, amongst, you know, the viscera of the internet, you know, trying to find someone who had them, you know, on a blog somewhere. But that, you don't see much of that these days for some reason. No, I think that's kind of gone by the wayside. You know? <laughs> um, but I did read, uh, I believe it's on the Lurker of Chalice official Bandcamp page. They reissued the album 2018 on Nuclear War Now Productions. And part of that, uh, the funds from the sales from that are supposed to be going to fund a proper release for the demos. 
That's awesome. Yes. So maybe those will be available in a physical form this year sometime. Yeah, that would be great to get the whole picture of the band because I feel like if the only thing you heard was a Lurker of Chalice LP, which is an incredible record, you you need to have the complement of those demos, I think, to understand kind of the whole process of the band, at least in my like opinion, you know. I agree. Yeah. I mean, it's those are kind of vital to the overall vibe of Lurker of Chalice. Yeah, the coolest thing about those demos is that uh the first one didn't even have a, you know, just unti- no titles for the songs. Right. No no record identifier except there's like three runes like sketched on the on the right. CD itself. And then the second demo it just has the Lurker of Chalice logo on it. And once again, like no song titles or anything like that. Did you ever, ever come across any info on like how many of those, if any, were produced in <laughs> physical form? Like I wonder if you go on Discogs. I don't know. I, did, I, I didn't. I mean, I imagine some very small run of those was made. Yeah. You know. But yeah, that'd be great if like they were remastered and put out on vinyl or, or at least you know, some kind of high res like digital download. That'd be really cool. Yeah, that'd be great. Great, because who knows too the quality, uh, the stuff you used to pull off these sites, Soulseek and stuff. Like a lot of times, the quality was pretty shaky. So for me, in my opinion, and I think you know we both agree on this. Like the two, if you're to look at looking at Rest's creative output, I think that the Lurker of Chalice and the Leviathan record, Massive Conspiracy Against All Life, are the two kind of like. At least for me, the go the go to records. If you want to experience what that dude has done, I mean, he has like such an incredible output of music. You know, starting in uh, was it 1998 um, until present, the guy's put out like so, a huge volume of high quality material. Oh know? yeah, man, it's it's kind of endless. But I agree with you. I think that's maybe the high water mark. Although I, I, there's so much great Leviathan stuff, if I had to pick one go to it would be a massive conspiracy yeah it's like definitely the best sounding of all records and uh you know i just think that that's the, you know definitely the high point of uh his creative output as leviathan you know that in the last few records have been great too but those two are very you know that lurker and massive are you know the epitome i think if you were to like just have two records by by rest those are the two i would i would go for I could almost see those two things could have been merged together to make a double album. Well, actually, ironically, the word is that Massive Conspiracy was supposed to be a uh, a Lurker of Chalice record. And that in some pressings of the CD, that the actual information that comes up is Lurker of Chalice info. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Right, right, right. So it's um, ironic that these two, that they're actually, there was a, you know, connection. a connection between the two. Um, just to backpedal for a second here, I just pulled up the Lurk of Chalice band camp and two interesting things, actually. So you can buy the digital version of the Lurk of Chalice album from the band camp, which includes a bonus track called Whale that's eight minutes and 25 seconds long and is slotted as track seven not tagged on as a bonus track huh which is strange to me yeah because that's 
the Lurker of Chalice album is a record you listen to as an album. Uh huh. To throw the bonus track in the middle makes me wonder was that supposed to be there originally? And the other thing is, like I said earlier, there's a, a note on the bottom that says all proceeds from this going to repress Lurker of Chalice vinyl, cassette, CD, plus demos and unheard demos. Great. Yeah, that's exactly the kind of news I want to hear. Yes. <laughs> Me, same here. Now, prior to uh, his uh, entry into black metal, Jeff Whitehead was in a band called Gift Horse where he played drums. Yeah. And in various interviews, Whitehead has mentioned that drums is his primary instrument. And everything else he kind of learned on the way, you know, sort of on the job, became a guitarist and a bass player and a vocalist. And keyboard player. Yeah, everything. <laughs> everything, and, yeah. Uh, from what I understand, Gift Horse was vastly different. Not not a black metal band. No. More like a mathy kind of rock band. Yeah. Um, you know, because he, he has... Read interviews with him or whatever. Not that there's many out there. There's a great interview from Guitar World actually from 2015. It's pretty in depth, but uh, he mentions all of his influences: guitar players, drummers, and different kind of music. And it's it's everything from you know you get it from black metal stuff to death metal stuff to old touch and go stuff and Jesus Lizard and Palvo and all all kinds of stuff. Well, that that's one of the things that you can hear. One one of the things that sets him apart, I think, is is that Leviathan slash Lurker of Chalice is sort of an amalgamation of all these different influences. And right. It, you know, comes together to be expressed, like sort of focused through this lens that he has, which adds this like dark nihilistic version of all these things, focused into this like laser beam precision of light, of dark dark light. <laughs> that ends up being a Lurker of Chalice or a Leviathan record. Yes. You know, everything's just kind of reduced and condensed into this, like, very, very intense, dark vision that he has. Right. You know, but you can still hear, like, you know, I can listen to these records and hear, like, Jesus Lizard. I can hear Bauhaus. I can hear, you know, Dark Throne. Sure. You know, and... Yeah. And I think in that same uh, interview, he mentions that Thorns is a uh the the norwegian band thorns is a big uh influence on on his guitar style yes exactly yeah so you can hear all that stuff in there yeah and you can i mean if you you know we like a lot of different kinds of music and a lot of the same bands we're talking about you can really hear that in his music it's not strictly just like even though it's black metal you know at, at the root you can hear all these other influences they really shine through so going back to the Lurker of Chalice record, <clears throat> the uh, track listing is uh, I, Piercing Where They Might, Spectre As Valkyrie Is, Minions, Paramesia, This Blood Falls As Mortal, Part 3, Granite, Vortex Chalice, and Fastened to the Five Points. Now... There's a documentary that came out, like a like a three a three piece a three part documentary that Vice Noisy put out, and um, Jeff Whitehead is featured uh, as one of the uh, the the subjects of this documentary on one man black metal projects, 
And uh, you were saying it was uh, part three? Part three, they cover uh, the Lurker Chalice stuff more more so, yeah. You know, and, and in that, they, uh, you know, they visit, revisit one of his old apartments, and that's where apparently, uh, in his own words, he mentions that this is where he tried to take his life, and also where he lived when he was uh, putting together all the Lurker Chalice material. Right. So, you know, maybe for unknown reasons that are undocumented this lurker chalice material only exists between a certain period of time because that was the period of time that he was going through these like very dark sort of experiences right and i think that lurker chalice captures any kind of like like you know feel or vibe that would would be sort of documented by that it documents this sort of period of his life that's at least my my understanding of it you know i don't know if it's true or not but like that's the feeling i get is that this record is like a a document of a period of four or five years that were you know yeah i mean he says in the documentary that lurker chalice is over we'll never you know record new material again basically because of that it was a thing of its time of its place you know, situations that he was uh, dealing with kind of lent to making that music. So, uh, yeah, anyone who hasn't seen that One Man Metal three-part documentary, it's on YouTube, and it's definitely cool. Yeah, it has uh, Zaster uh, is covered in that. Um, and, know, uh, another great American one-man yeah. black metal band. And Streborg is the other band from... Tasmania, I believe. Yeah, someplace down under. Down under. Yeah, yeah, and I think that uh, also that documentary sort of paints a picture of the type of person that exists in this like solitary world of like creating a band that only has one member in it. Right. You know, I think that it's a different type of person that makes this kind of music. Really. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's really outsider music. At its purest form, yeah. Another thing that uh, that really resonated with me about that documentary is is like the use of corpse paint and transformation and and becoming like a different entity, like when you know what I mean, like why, like you know, there's one one of the things that strikes me is that even though it's like a one man band, so why is the need to have like a different name when you're performing this type of music, you know, cause they all, you know, they all have different names. Yeah. Uh, to this true, I think, uh, and I can't, I'm going blank on the guy, his real name and his persona in Streborg, but, uh, he kind of explains it the best that like when he puts on the corpse paint, just kind of transforms him from being the person he is to this other entity. Um, he, he does a good job of explaining it. I guess the best you can explain it. Um, yeah, you know, like he, that, that him in particular, he's, he's like a family, you know, yeah. he's like married and has like kids and stuff. But when he, he puts on the corpse paint and like goes out in the woods, he just says it transforms him into something else completely, which, I mean, I don't know, you know. I mean, that, that's, that's a common theme that comes across in like a lot of different uh, aspects of human culture. I mean, 
you know, one of the most obvious things is like the executioner, the guy who used to cut people's heads off, like they put a hood on. Right. You know, so they can become a different person to execute people, you know what I mean? True. And, uh, you know, different warrior cultures wear masks and uh, so they can go out there and murder and kill and do all these like unspeakable acts. As if it's not them doing it. As if it's not them doing it, you know what I mean? And, um, And I think that there's something, there's some connection between that sort of, uh, you know, that concept and the concept of becoming a different person when you put on corpse paint, you know what I mean? Right. Like you're you're enabling yourself to do different things, to, to express yourself in a way that's separate from who you might actually be in regular life, you know what I mean? An interesting part about, I know people have a lot of opinions on corpse paint, some people think it's goofy, some people think, but the interesting thing with, uh, a, a one man band, a solo artist doing it is you're not, they're not perform. These people don't perform for the most part in front of people. So they're, they're just putting on the corpse paint, like, you know, for themselves. Yeah. There's, there's no showmanship to it outside of maybe taking some photographs for an album or something. They're not going out and performing in corpse paint in front of people. So you take that whole, that whole aspect away from it. It just becomes a whole different thing in my eyes. Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to have a study on all this stuff, like a real scholarly you right. know, like analysis of everything <laughs> because I think that there's a lot that has to do with like human nature associated with wearing masks. Because right. in, 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 in essence, that's what you're doing. You're donning a mask. Absolutely. To do something different that might exist outside of like your normal behaviors. You know what I mean? Right, right. Um. Yeah, and I think these guys obviously probably were influenced with the makeup in a way, like King Diamond or even Kiss. Yeah, but it's taken it's in a, just in a different context. I mean, those King Diamond and Kiss play concerts in front of people, and it's part of like stage attire almost. You know what I mean? This is not that. It's something completely different. Yeah, you know, and and, and uh, you know the fact that these bands don't perform live too is like you know, definitely like an important facet, you know, yeah. aspect to it. <clears throat> so Whitehead, in addition to putting out a slew of uh, Leviathan records, has also done tons of different splits and collaborations. Like, for example, he's collaborated with Sun. Um, he's part of the, the, the black metal, quote-unquote, supergroup Twilight. Have you gotten into them at all? Uh, I have the first two records. I never got the third one. Is he on the third one? Unknown. That's a good point. I don't know if he's third on one. I know Thurston Moore. Yeah, that's on. a good. Uh, it's a good record though. It's it's more like a swan sounding kind of like caustic, you know, okay. like industrial kind of thing. I love the first one. Yeah, the first one's great. The second one I remember liking, but I. I didn't go back to it as much. The first one I liked a lot. First one was very raw sounding. Um, yeah, he's done other collaborations too, right? Yeah, there's like a, a ton of just splits and all these other things that he's involved with. Um, you know, but the, we talk about Massive Conspiracy. That is uh, the first album, first Leviathan record where he has acoustic drums on it. Yes. Yeah. It's so fascinating to me, like, the way he was able to 
record and perform all this music just release after release after release by himself for so long just on a four track <laughs> yeah i know because up until massive conspiracy that was the first one with you know analog drums or but that was also the first record that was recorded like a recording program everything yeah. prior to that what he said was done on a four track probably like an old school Tascam. You know, yeah, and there's like so many layers to the music too. So if you think, I mean, I don't right. know, now, these days four tracks are like anachronisms, you know, because nowadays everyone just you buy a Mac, a Macintosh, you know, Mac Macintosh laptop, and you have GarageBand on there, and you have like right, at you know as many tracks as you need to layer things down. But when you work with a four track, it's like you have to constantly bounce tracks down to free up space right on a cassette tape. You know what I mean? Which is like the lowest fidelity quality like medium you could probably work with. Because we're ancient. Yeah. We have both done that with four tracks. Yeah. And to, to know like very, very poor results in my case. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, it is incredible. Because uh, although, yes, the quality overall is pretty poor. It's part of the what I think maybe he was going for. Yeah, I mean, there's there's that the idea that um, like black metal is not about like high fidelity recordings. It's about just like raw expressions of emotion. You know, what I mean, right. I don't know. Did you see the uh, Lords of Chaos film? The film, though, I am not. Yeah, well, it's it's not a crucial viewing. Yeah. But did you? you there was the uh, documentary uh, until the light takes that I seen. Yeah, where um, Burzum you know, mastermind Varg yes. is talking about recording uh, the first Burzum record. And he's like, yeah, you know, we took about 10 minutes to set up the drums, you know, and he's like, the engineer asked him, he's like, do you want to, uh, you know, adjust the sounds? And he's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I want the worst possible sound. And there you go. So that's like the, the black metal way, the cult way. Right, right. You know, and I mean, I think that, I mean, once again, it'd be great to talk to this guy, but uh, I just think that there's like a certain um, utility to the Leviathan recordings that they were done by, you know, completely independent. Right. And remember, Burzum went into the studio to record. Jeff Whitehead did this all in his apartment. True. With a four track, with all like his own... On his own steam, he made these rec- He made these recordings, and he found you know found different labels to work with and whatever. Right. But, but the um, you know the whole the will of the artist is what actually actualized this material. You know, there was no no one pushing him to make any of this music. It was just on his own total strength of will that he recorded all this stuff, and it was done DIY, like right. in the most you know purest of senses. Right. You know, and it was done with a four track and like 1998. Yeah, that's like you didn't have all the Macintosh programs and, you know, GarageBand and all this other stuff available to you. I mean, yeah, there was digital audio workstations like you can get Pro Tools. But that was at that point, you know, Pro Tools was kind of like prohibitively expensive in 1998. Right. And uh, you needed to have like, you know, all these like sound cards and all this other bullshit. So, you know, the four track was like the perfect medium. And yeah. I just think out of utility that that was why he ended up doing it this stuff and when there was enough resources to record a, an actual to tape you know analog with real drums i think he took that opportunity and i think that 
massive conspiracy sounds like a fucking totally professionally recorded record. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a huge step up uh, production wise. Yeah. So let's just run down the track listing on massive conspiracy against all life. We have vesture dipped in the blood of mourning. Merging with sword onto them. Made as the stale wine of wrath. 696, which is actually my favorite track on the record. Great track. Receive the World, which is my favorite track. Vulgar Asceticism. Noisome Ash Crown, which is also one of my, I think, a great track, too. And um, apparently there was like some sort of like controversy about getting this record out. And uh, at one point, uh, it was going to be put out on uh, Blake Judd's uh, record, um, Battle Command. But it ended up coming out on Moribund, which was the record that uh, record label that he was signed to at the time. Right. And that came out on uh, March 24th, 2008 in Europe and March 25th, 2008 in North America. And, um, and yeah, I remember when this record came out, I bought it as soon as it came out because I had that, you know, that introduction to the band by Dave Witte for a few years prior to this. Right, right. That was the first Leviathan release I was like, I bought when it came out. Everything yeah. else I had kind of pieced together, stuff that was out before that. I think the first thing I ever got was the split disaster. That's a cool, that's a cool record. Yeah. You know, both both sides of that are pretty cool. Um, That was like probably the first proper release that I purchased. However you know, file sharing wise, I was able to download pretty much the entire collection of his other material. Me too. That's how I got it all too. Yeah. I mean, good luck finding that. Nah, it's impossible to find these days. But what happened though, I downloaded all these MP3s, but then um, a funny thing happened. I was employed by a company that was based in Somerset, New Jersey. Okay. And Somerset, New Jersey is fairly close to a record store called Vintage Vinyl, which is uh, known for its uh, extensive metal, extreme metal collection. You know, you can go there and buy, like, they have an incredible heavy metal section. So every Friday when I got paid, I'd uh, take my lunch break and I'd drive out there and I'd buy records. And they had all these, like, Leviathan records there. So I was able to get the tenth sub tenth sub level of suicide tentacles of horror, and the record of a silhouette of splinters. Are you familiar with that one? I am. Yeah. Which is like you know primarily an instrumental. Yep. And uh, so those are like the the proper releases I have by Leviathan. You know, they're actual CDs that were you know professionally you know mass produced for right. the market, but all the splits, you know, like are are just like. That that stuff's like you know it's impo- it's hard to find like the Cribane split the split you know with right. with you know ad hominem you know like any of that that kind of stuff the Black Death split you know there's a split with Krieg it's just like uh, you know those things are you know out there somewhere I think a lot of those splits and stuff were compiled on a collection called Verator yeah. It's like a double. The two CDs. Yeah. 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 I think that's all a lot of stuff from the splits. Yeah. Right? 
but but to find the actual releases though is is pretty pretty difficult these days. Yeah, uh, so much of that stuff is awesome though. Oh, God, man, so good. And then there's like. I don't know, like 20 demos right. <laughs> or something right. like that. Right. Yeah, I went on a tear, man, uh, on file sharing when I first got into Leviathan. And I, I I probably have so much stuff on my hard drive, demos, splits. There's also, I have different versions of uh, some of the records that have different tracks or some of the tracks aren't on the records. That might just be people uploading stuff wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't know. Maybe there's different versions of these with extra songs or not as many songs. I have no idea. But one one of the things that's most um, impressive about you know Leviathan is that you know for for a guy who doesn't perform live, doesn't tour, and just releases records, and the fact that there's so much material out available and it's all very incredible, high quality, that um, you know it's it's really just a commitment. And I think this is connected to what he does for a living. It's just a commitment to art, right? To putting out expressive art artwork, you right. know. Because I mean, you know, his you know Whitehead's day job is that he's a, a tattoo artist and a you know visual artist, right? You know, and I think that the same as a to be a painter or any kind of like visual artist, it's like a solitary pursuit. You know, you do that by yourself. And I think that that same mentality is what crossed over into him making, you know, Leviathan or Lurker or Chalice records. You know, it's just a solitary pursuit to express yourself. You know, and there's like there's very little thought of an audience or very little thought of, you know, commerce or any of those things. Right. You know, and that's something that is is uh, almost exclusive to these like solo artists these like lone solitary practitioners out there right you know because when you get in a band and you're you're on a label like you're going out on tour you're thinking about selling merchandise and how many people are at the show and all this other bullshit it's like it it could be distracting from the actual art because you keep thinking about selling things sure and i don't know i mean once again it would be very convenient if we had jeff here to talk to but um you know that i don't know i don't know if that is any kind of motivator for him, for a guy who works by himself. Yeah, that that's a good way to look at it, really. I mean, <laughs> he doesn't do a lot of interviews. No. You know, I mean, there's, there's almost no, like, footage of him. I mean, the, uh, the, the, the Guitar World piece that you have that we talked about was, like, probably one of the more in-depth things I've seen, and then also the noisy thing. Right. You know, and then Revolver has a piece that might, be released at some point that John Baisley interviews him and uh, and that hasn't come out yet. I'd love to see that. Yeah, but that's that's like a two part thing, and they talk about artwork and you know all this stuff. Right. You know. Right. And uh, but yeah, he's a man of few words. You know what I mean. Right. And uh, he just tries stays stays behind the mask for the most part. And you know when you don't go out and you know this all too well when you don't go out and tour. When you don't do all the uh, get involved in the trappings of being in a band, there's also not a lot of money to be made. Yeah, by you know, record sales and the day where we, you and I, both just admitted to have illegally downloaded almost the guy's <laughs> entire catalog. You know, right? But even, yeah, and even if like you know, uh, Leviathan 
I mean, they say the Lurker Chalice demos comes out on LP. It costs a fortune to press vinyl yeah. and make all this artwork and stuff. Uh, even if he sells out of them, he's probably breaking even. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely going to buy that if it comes out. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I, I for sure, because I want to I hold the tactile piece. You know what I mean? It's like... It's the missing piece to the Lurker Chalice puzzle. Yeah. You know? And, you know, there's a lot of mystery. There's a lot of mystique around leviathan lurker chalice and it's like i think that's why like being able to have these these artifacts in your hands is important you know if you care about the band and the music and all that. right absolutely so everyone go out there and to the band camp page <laughs> buy a copy and uh hopefully someday we'll be able to hold the demos and the whole package in our hands you know i am going to buy the digital version this will probably be like the fifth time I've bought the Lurker Chalice record, but I, since I just noticed this bonus track that's eight minutes long that I don't think I've ever heard. I might do the same thing. I'll buy it again. Yeah. I think I'm going to do the same exact thing. Because <laughs> you know what? Oddly enough, the Lurker stuff is not on... I know it's not on Apple Music. No, it's not. It's not. No, yeah. it's not. So, I had to pull it off my hard drive yeah. to get it on my iPhone. Yeah, I had the CD, you know, and, and I had, you know, that's how I listened to it. I right. the actual, you know, rip of the CD that I bought. And, uh, but yeah, I'll buy it again. Why not? Right. If, if I know that, if I know that I, my nine bucks or whatever is going to go towards a release of the entire body of work, then I think that that $9 that I just spent or $10 or whatever it is, seven ninety nine or whatever, <laughs> Is money well spent? Because someday I hope to have the entire collection of the story of Lurker or Chalice in my hands. I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that, um, you know, this this episode is more of, you know, technically I guess it's a classic records episode, but I guess it's more of a celebration of like the work of uh, Jeff Whitehead and. Um, his various incarnations, be it Leviathan or the Lurker of Chalice record or any of that kind of stuff. You know, I think it's just kind of like a, uh, you know, show of respect for an artist that I think has touched me, like, and influenced me in my own creative output and has, has you know, provided a lot of, uh, a lot of guidance as, as far as, like, creative freedom, you know? Yeah. Same here, man. Same here. Um, you know, another thing too, uh, if you go to holymountain.com, yeah. they have a great selection of Lurk of Chalice and Leviathan merch, which hopefully if you buy enough of that, maybe Jeff gets a taste of that. Well, I can tell you firsthand that since uh, the, the musical outfit that I'm involved with, Tombs, uh, Holy Mountain is our official uh, merchandiser, and they handle our online web sales for merchandise, so that you do get a generous share of the profits. That's a good thing. Yeah, they're a very, very reputable organization. So if you are a fan of Leviathan and Lurker, and Lurker of Chalice, head over to HolyMountainPrinting.com right. and pick up one, two, three, you know, Four four pieces. You get a, a hoodie, a hoodie, long sleeve, and like a regular T-shirt, and maybe a, a sticker or something like that. And they do have a great. So it's pretty much the only place I think. May, maybe a Devout Records, which is uh, Jeff's label. 
Yeah. They sell some hoodies and shirts occasionally, but Holy Mountain has like a, a plethora yeah. of Leviathan and Lurker merch. Well, one of the things we failed to mention is that Jeff was a professional skateboarder. Yeah. Prior to all this stuff. Yes. You know? So, I don't know. That was an interesting aside that he had like an athletic background. <laughs> That's it for this week's episode of Metal Matters, a Gimme Radio weekly podcast. Tune in next week and see what we have in store for you. The show is available on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, etc. Also, be sure to check out Gimme Radio, streaming on the web, iOS, or Android. For one of the best metal communities, exclusive merch, interviews with artists, and so much more. I'll catch you guys next week. Take care.